Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Resurrection City Church. My name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here at Res City. Uh, we've been in a sermon series uh, on the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians for the last few months. And we're in this part of the book where there starts to be a shift uh, that, that comes, where Paul has been talking about this big picture plan of grace, the formation of God's church, uh, what what he does to give us new life. And in the last few weeks, we've talked about the big picture of, of holiness and unity and how our gifts uh, work together to build up this body that God has put us into and, and cause it to grow the way that he desires uh, into this new society that's founded on the gift of grace that he's given a, to us in his son Jesus. Um, but, but there's a shift that's taking place now where, where Paul's going to start to get into um, more what we, we tend to think of as commands or instructions. And before we dive into the passage, and, and, and really this is the next uh, few weeks in the book of Ephesians, really for pretty much the whole rest of the book, um, before we dive into that, I want to talk a little bit about how we understand these commands and laws that Paul is giving us. Because um, if we don't really understand how they work, then we're going to struggle to make sense of all of these things. And, and it's going to maybe cause some conflict uh, for us in our lives, or, or maybe um, we're going to struggle to to know exactly how to, to play these out. Not least for the reason that uh, these are being uh, spoken into in a society that's completely different than ours. You know, it, it takes it was written a couple thousand years ago. And so we need to be thoughtful in how we approach these things. Uh, one of our values at Res City is new people, new lives. Um, specifically, we say we want to see people made new in Christ through faith in Him and then live lives that reflect that transformation. This is how we think about calling people to live in light of, of grace and the cross and the resurrection. This is how we think about ethics. Uh, this is how we, this is the lens through which we determine what it means to follow Jesus and to live uh, Christianly, you could say. Now, I know that it can be difficult to understand uh, what we're supposed to do after we accept the gospel, right? You could say, if I've been accepted and saved by God, but not by my own works, you know, we, talk, we talked about this just a couple weeks ago in Ephesians 2, 1, 1 to 10, does that mean it doesn't matter how I live now, right? If it's not about works, it's about grace, then does it, does it just not matter what I do? Um, but, but surely... Right? You know, this, this other hypothetical person would say, God cares about how I live, right? Like, he has to care about how I live. And, and that has to be a very specific and distinct way. Um, and, and, and perhaps the best way to think about that, as, as many Christians for sure do, is in, the, in terms of, of law or rules, right? And, and so, so we're left at maybe a bit of an impasse. How do, how do we reconcile these two? Now, it's kinda, let's, let's, let's say that we take, we take it and look at it at two different ways. And I would say a lot of Christians today are living in one of these two different ways. Rules versus authentic living. Let's start with rules. Rules, we do something to, uh, to satisfy some goal, right? And it's very specific. It's very laid out for us. Um, we do something that, 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 that just kind of sets up fence lines for us. Now, we like rules because rules are safe, right? Rules are, are easy to understand, at least most of the time they are, um, and they just kind of give us a pretty, a pretty good, um, pretty practical, just here's what you do, and we can go do it. Now, here's the problem with rules. Rules 
typically are there to just limit or to constrict, right? They don't necessarily give us a positive vision for anything. There's no uh, freedom for creativity. There's no um, necessarily something we're shooting for. Um, there, you know, and, and it's and it's not like a like a, a positive vision for how we're supposed to live. It's just there to kind of keep us from not living a certain way. But it doesn't always give us the way that we are supposed to live. All right. So that's that's rules. The second way I said is authentic living uh, or freedom. Now, this inevitably turns us inwards. And we have these two great forces that have been acting on us for the last few centuries, existentialism and romanticism. And these, these are things that have called us to live authentic or, or true to ourselves. We're supposed to work for self-satisfaction before anything else. And we're, we want to be whipped up into some sort of passion or feeling of, of excitement or romanticism before we do something. And so often what we, what we, what we do, the the, the way that we, we live, the way that we create our ethics today is, is through what we could call emotivism. We create principles or, or even rules, we could say, based on how we're feeling. And that, that can obviously change from time to time, right? But so in the moment we have a rule that just is like, I'm going to do what feels good right now. And this is really the, the default worldview and ethic of most people our age. If you just look around us, you're going to find a lot of people who say that something is right only if I feel good about it. And if I don't feel good about something, then it must be wrong. So we kind of label it with these more um, objective labels, even though we're admitting it's, it's a very subjective thing. And so often we say, if I don't feel something strongly about then it's not a valid thing. I shouldn't do that thing. It's, not, it's only right or valid for me to do it if I feel really good about it. And we do this in the church a lot of times too. I think we think if we feel peace about a decision, that automatically means it must be right or it must be from God. And that's all we really need a lot of times is this feeling of peace. We're just waiting for God to give us this feeling so we know a thing is good or right. And and I'm not saying that that's wrong necessarily. I think God is a God of peace, and I think we can pray for that, and I think He, he gives us guidance in our lives uh, through our Holy Spirit. But, but we can't get so locked into that way of thinking so that we just mirror the culture that's just basically living off of this, of this motivism, right? Think, think about it like this, right? I, I, f I feel like murder is bad, is a statement you could say. And... Wow, I'm glad that you feel like murder is bad. Murder is, is for sure bad for more reasons than just because of how you feel about it. Right? Just, just like everything that you feel good about isn't automatically good. Um, people feel good about lots of things that most other people agree are bad. Right? Uh, we live in a culture where some people's feeling or desire for satisfaction through sex has caused all sorts of problems. We're wrestling with that in the midst of the, the Me Too movement right now. Um, people's desires for food or money or power, in many cases, has caused lots of evil in the world. Okay, So we can't just build a society, or, or especially a church, just trying to make sure everyone feels, be, feels good, if not only for just the fact that because what might feel good for one of us is not going to feel good for someone else. And so we have no consensus to which to, to organize around or to build a society or a church around. And, and, and so there's a bit of an impasse between these two things, rules and, 
and authentic living or freedom. Now, I think uh, the answer that we're going to find in this passage that Paul gives us is better because it allows us to live free and to creatively follow Jesus, but it's also defined uh, for us in, in a way that, like, like we like with rules, we still have some, some defining from God for what it looks like, but it's beyond the way that, that we feel, okay? And, and that way that Paul is going to talk about is what we could call a new creation character. So instead of laws, we are called to live true to who we are, yes, but the, 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 the version of ourselves that we're living true to is this new creation self that we've been made to be. We've been made new, Paul says. And, and like I, you know, I said earlier, he said this in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 especially, we were dead, but we've been made alive. We've been made new in Christ. We're this, this new artwork that God has created. Uh, and so we, we've been given this new identity in Christ. And this, this gift that we've been given transforms us into that identity as we accept it. And so, and so we, we are called to change to live into something new. We're called to live authentically to this new identity that God has given us. And that gives all of our actions a shape or a design towards some goal. And we see that lived out specifically in our actions, in how we live, in the patterns for living we have, in the, in the attitude or the, or the mindset that we have about things. Now, this is not necessarily a distinctively Christian uh, way, way to look at, at ethics, right? Um, this is something, it's actually very ancient, it's called virtue ethics. And instead of thinking about consequences or rules or, or how we feel, all of which are still important, what, what actually matters the most is who we're being made into through our decisions, through our patterns of living. And so virtue, the virtue we're supposed to live out is this gospel-inspired virtue, uh, this, this new creation life that anticipates the new world and the people we will be when Christ returns. Um, if you've taken any art classes in your life, um, especially like drawing ones, then you might be familiar with um, a way of drawing that helps you to, to kind of draw three dimensions, and it's, it's where you use something called a vanishing point. If you're not familiar with it, just you know, when, you, when you get home from the sermon, or even right now, just pull your phone out and, um, and just Google vanishing point. You'll see some pictures, they'll come right up. And, uh, but, but here's the, the picture we have right here is of this box, and you'll, you'll see that it's got lines coming out from it, and, they're, and it's headed towards different um, horizon points. And at a certain point where all the lines meet up on the horizon is this one dot, it's called a vanishing point. And those come back into the foreground, to the middle of the picture, and give shape to this box that we're looking at. Um, so I want us to think about uh, the new creation self as, as like this, this box here. You, you see that it has shape in the foreground, right in front of us here, but its shape is, is dictated uh, by the point off into the future that is coming into, into the present, we could say, to give it shape, right? So the new self in God's new world is the vanishing point. This is the rubric for who we will be in the future. So we are called now to don the new self, a vision for who we are that has been, has been put in a time machine. It's been brought back here uh, now so that we live in the pattern that we will, we will live in when there is no more sin, 
when we are no longer infected by this flesh and its desires and we no longer have alternate visions for living that are being pounded into our skulls constantly and we are completely free to live as God's people in the new world that he will finally create in Christ, even though it's been started now in the present um, through through Christ, through His Holy Spirit, and, and lived out in the life of the church, uh, Christ will return Himself someday and establish this new kingdom where we will dwell with Him. And the point is to bring the life of that new kingdom that Christ will establish in the future into the present now. Okay, This is the lens for how we should understand everything that Paul is about to say in this passage. All of these instructions that he's about to give here. This is kind of the way I want us to be thinking about it. And we'll see this is this is a part of what he says as we move through the passage. But I think it's helpful uh, if we have a picture of that uh, as we move into it, okay? So all that said, let's actually get into the passage here. Ephesians 4.17, if you have uh, your Bible in front of you or your phone, just go ahead and turn there and you can read along with me. Paul starts out by saying this, So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. So before Paul gets to, to what it, it, we, we, should, we should look like in Christ and in how we live, he's going to present this contrast to us of what we used to live like. Okay? And that was to be shaped according to the values of this world, which he calls the old self. Um, remember in chapter 2, he talked about how the Gentiles, which is just the Greek word ethne, the Greek word for nations, it just is for non-Jewish people. These are people who are separated from God and get brought near to God through Christ. This is, this is people, and this includes all of us, um, who, who lived in futility before. Who lived in meaninglessness. This is how the Greek word futility can be translated. Meaninglessness, uselessness, worthlessness. Okay? That's how we used to live. He continues in verse 18 and 19. They are darkened in their understanding and they are separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. Now Paul's saying that there is something inside all humans that leads us to want to go our own way to find value and aim ourselves in a direction other than the purposes that God has designed for us. That decision, Paul says, hardens them toward God, which leads to ignorance, which leads to darkness. Okay. Now, darkness, I don't think we necessarily have to even read this in a moral sense, um, right? or at least we should add it, this, this secondary connotation to it at least. Um, and this is the sense in which you can't see anything, right? Um, it's just walking around bumping into things, right? And maybe occasionally you're getting it right, right? You're feeling around, and maybe you occasionally get to the place you're trying to go, um, but, but that's because more because of luck than anything else. <laughs> um, and because this is the state that we've always lived in, Paul says, we've lost all sensitivity. We've become callous to the pain and the hurt uh, that ignorance and darkness has led us to, right? We just, we just, it doesn't bother us anymore because we don't know anything better than that. Um, I could never be a BMX biker, and if, and if you are one, I mean, I envy you. I think it'd be really cool to be a BMX biker. But one of the things I've always noticed about BMX bikers and, and kind of envied because I, am a kind of a, I can be afraid of this. And, but is this how, like, um, like there's no fear of being hurt. <laughs> um, and, and like, there's like this, this insensitivity to pain, right? And, 
and and, and BMX bikers are, are like, yeah, you know, this is where I, I broke this leg the one time and, you know, broke this arm at another place. Um, and, and you just kind of like, you don't have a sensitivity to it and that allows you to be able to keep doing it, right? And that's, that's cool, but that's kind of a, a picture a little bit of what this looks like is we become so used to just running into things and hurting ourselves because we're, we're hardened and then darkened in our understanding. We become insensitive to it. And so people are just numb to the fact that they're walking around just, and they just keep chasing things that continue to not really give them true joy and true guidance of how to walk in the world. Right? Maybe you, you've been in a place like this in your life or you know others who have been there. And from the outside looking in, you just can't fathom it, right? But you see that when you're in that place, it's just, just how you live. Right? This is how Paul says we all used to be. Okay? He continues in verses 20 to 22. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you learned about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Okay? Paul says you didn't learn to live in that old way, right? the way that is hardened, it's darkened, it's insensitive. You were taught to put off the old self, in fact. And instead, now you are supposed to put on the new self. This means to put consistently on, day by day, this new identity that we have been given in Christ. We have, to, we have to live that out every single day in all sorts of large and small ways. In the same way that we, we, we put on our clothes, putting our pants on one leg at a time, socks on one foot at a time, right? Every day, this is how we're supposed to live, okay? You've learned something else, Paul says. And what is that thing that we've learned? He continues in verses 23 and 24. You've learned to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to, be, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Okay? You learn to dress for who you are, which is new creation, which is life from death. Right? Depending on wherever it is you, you work, you, you dress a certain way to reflect that. Um, if you work in, in downtown Minneapolis um, you, or downtown St. Paul, you probably wear a suit or, or business attire of some kind because um, you're supposed to dress professionally, right? That's the goal of, of, of wherever it is that you work is, is, is professionalism, okay? So you dress to, to live a certain way, right? You dress to uh, reflect who you are as an employee uh, or someone who works in whatever industry you work in. But if you work from home, you know, you're just wearing sweatpants. You're wearing, you're wearing a t-shirt around, um, and that reflects the goal of like doing good work, but in comfort, right? To doing, you know, it doesn't matter how you dress when you're at home. Right? I would imagine if you work from home, you probably aren't wearing a suit. If you, if you are very comfortable in the suit, then more power to you. Um, but I would imagine most of us are dressing pretty, pretty comfortably when we're at home, right? And that reflects the goal. We're working at home because that's a comfortable place to work, right? We're supposed to put on our new self to be made new in the attitude of our minds, Paul says, um, and to be, to, to be putting that on constantly. So let's take those, those two things, specifically um, being made new in the attitude of our minds and then um, putting on the new self. Let's take those each in turn. First of all, being made new in, in, in our mind. It means to reorient our thinking every single day. Um, it means to learn what it means to be new and to be in Christ. 
right? And you can't live what you don't know, which means that we have to learn the story of the Bible. We have to learn uh, about the Christ event, this intrusion into our, our world uh, by God in Christ that, that shakes everything up. And we have to learn the values of the kingdom that God is bringing from his place to this other place. Um, and, and that's why it's so important that we, we, we learn the Bible story right, consistently, right? Um, day in and day out, we're, we're taking time to learn that if we can. This is why we have preaching on Sunday morning. That's why teachers are so important. It's why in our community groups every week, we spend time in God's word because we can't live what we don't know. So we have to learn it, right? And then Paul talks about shifting how we think about things, right? And this is where specifically I think the rules idea can fail us, you know, um, because culture is always changing. And the way to actually uh, understand how to live Christianly in a culture that is not the same as the one that Paul wrote in means that we have to be able to shift our attitude or the way that we think, right? Let's take an example of technology, right? How do we how do we deal with the changing landscape of technology that is always you know, consistently shaping? Right, um, Paul didn't tell us how to use dating apps in the first century, right? Because he had no clue what a dating app was. He didn't even know what dating was. Right, dating is is a, a very recent invention as well. Right, so we can't look to any rules in the Bible to tell us how to live this stuff out. But it's a fundamentally important part of all of our lives. Right? And there has to be a way to live uh, Christianly. Um, there has to be a way to, to live out um, our identity in Christ in these situations that we don't necessarily have rules for. Okay? And so the way to live that out is to have changed thinking. Okay? So that's why Paul talks about being made new um, in the attitude of our mind. Right? The second thing he says is put on the new self. Okay? And this means practicing the habits that reflect a changed understanding. So I'm a big racquetball player. At least I, I was a really big racquetball player in college. I, I, I don't, I'm not able to play it as often now, but I still get in every few weeks and play. Um, and the first time that I played racquetball, I was just chasing the ball all over the place. I didn't have a plan. I was just kind of chasing it around like a dog chasing a ball, right? And that's because I hadn't learned how to anticipate the ball, right? I hadn't learned how to anticipate the way that a ball is going to ricochet off of one wall and then hit another wall, and that I can like actually move to a certain place to kind of be waiting for it. Um, I hadn't learned how to swing my racket in different situations. I especially hadn't learned that because I didn't even play, I grew up playing tennis or any racket sports at all. So I had to completely learn how to use a racket. I had to learn like what way to stand, like how to set my feet well. I had to learn how to how to use my wrist and and how to 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 set up my shot well so I could aim it, right? I had to learn how to get to the middle of the court after I hit a shot because you want to be in the in racquetball. You want to own the middle of the court um, so that you can uh, pretty easily uh, get uh, to wherever the ball is going to be. But you know, you're not thinking about that a lot of times, right? And in the moment, it's like really hard to just be thinking about, you know, I got to do this rule, this rule, this thing, this, this, whatever thing, right? And you just have to learn it. You just say body just has to do it, right? So I had to practice it a bunch and only then could it become natural, okay? Think of, think of something else that you practice to learn like that. Um, could you do that thing without thinking about what should I do in this moment? You have to be able to like learn the values, of things. You have to be able uh, to learn like 
through muscle memory sometimes or just through like um, how to control your temperament in different situations. You have to learn that stuff and, and, and it has to be able to impact your thinking. And so, so then you're not thinking in every moment, what should I do here? You just do it, right? In racquetball, I had to practice a lot and I had to fail sometimes. I had to fail a lot actually, right? But the more I did that, the more that like my body just reacted in, in the right ways to get myself into the right places so that what I was thinking about was not, okay, where should I get to in this moment or where's the ball about to go so I can make sure that I am standing in the right spot in order to return it. I just did that naturally so that what I was thinking about was where am I going to hit the ball now um, so that it's going to be tough for my opponent to get to it, right? Or, or even thinking one step ahead where if I get this shot off, my opponent is probably going to be hitting it here and, and he or she is probably going to try to put it in this spot. So I'm going to make sure that I'm in that spot, right? You can start to think several steps ahead when you're not having to think about where you're lining up. And, and um, the way to put on the new self, the way to build character is kind of like that, right? Um, this is, this is taken from, uh, this is kind of a three steps towards building character. It's taken from the book After You Believe uh, by N.T. Wright. Um, and, and he says that the three main goals for building character is first that we aim at the right goal. Second, we determine the steps to get there. And then third, we make those steps habitual. Okay? So the goal for us as Christians is new life that's modeled after the gift of Christ that's given to us. It's, it's new life that is centered on unity with one another. We've talked about that a lot in Ephesians. It's centered on holiness and, and set-apart living, living that is distinct from the rest of the culture. We're going to be talking a lot more about that as we move forward in the book of Ephesians. It's about humility. It's about love. It's about seeing people the way that the electing God who gives His gift uh, indiscriminately sees us and all those around us, right? That's the goal. That's the, the, the way we're supposed to live now, okay? Now, the steps to get there are things that we, we're, we have been talking about um, and things that we are going to continue to talk about, right? And this is how we should start to think, I think, as we, we get into it, into some of these specific commands or instructions that Paul is going to give us um, in, in the book of Ephesians, both both in, you know, at the end of this sermon, at the end of this passage, and as we continue forward, right? It comes from, the, the steps are renewing our mind, learning to think within the story, um, you know, thinking about what are we taking in into our, to our, to our hearts and into our heads, because that's going to shape us in ways that we don't even really understand, all right? And then the habits, uh, you know, making these steps uh, habitual, is, is the, the things that we do in church, right? The patterns that we live in in the church, the things that we do on a regular basis. So gathering here on Sunday mornings to, to, to sit under and, and be exhorted by God's Word, um, to worship God uh, through song here, to take communion um, with one another on Sunday mornings. This is, these are patterns that, that remind us of the gospel, remind us of, of, of who we are and the story of Christ. Um, Living in community, it makes us practice it. That's why we have community groups every week. Um, it's why we do things as, as a church. It's why we exhort you to also to go out into the community and to, to live certain ways as God's ambassadors in the world. Um, and so the insistings, these instructions that Paul is about to give us in, in, that we're about to get into right now in 4.25-32 are the steps and the habits to approach the goal of newness. 
All right, and we have to constantly just be thinking about doing this day in and day out, just like putting clothes on. All right. Uh, w one last thing before we get into them to think about is contemporary brain science actually um, is really helpful here. Um, because everything I've kind of been saying, and I've talked about racquetball, and I've talked about what Paul says here, is actually like confirmed through brain science. When we consistently do things, our brain turns that into consistent wiring, and parts of the brain actually get enlarged. The wiring of our brain and how we think actually changes from habitual, consistent, sustained practice of things. So when we do something habitually, like not interrupting people in conversation because I have to share my thoughts on something, right? Because I think I'm so smart and everyone would benefit so much if they heard what I have to say here, right? When we, we habitually tell ourselves, I'm not going to interrupt people here, it actually like makes us more patient and makes us view ourselves less and others more because we're going to hear other people talk. We're going um, to be people who are, are not as impulsive, we're going to be restrained and patient and, and more humble because of how that will shape us. Uh, and, and kind of on the flip side of this, when we consistently cheat things and take short, shortcuts, we're training ourselves to be impatient, we're, to think that our time is more valuable and to try to not put in the required work for something. Right? So if we're people that are always looking for shortcuts, then then we're going to be typically impatient people. That those habits are going to make us think our time is, is worth more than other people's, and so we should be able to do whatever we think we need to in a situation because we're worth it, right? And a lot of that comes from our habits, all right? Okay, so let's get into the commands that Paul has here. I'm going to read them all off, but I'm actually not going to really spend any time on breaking any of these down. I want to actually give uh, you time in your community groups to... Uh, break these down as a group, okay? So I will read through them all at the very end. I'll make one observation about one point here, okay? So Paul says, Ephesians 4, uh, 25 through, all the way through 32. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Okay? And I want to I want to pause there, because in that last verse, I think there's a really important point to, to, to get here, okay? A really important goal uh, that we should pause on. And that's that we become more like God himself as we aim to act in a godly or Christ-like way. Okay, this, this is one of our goals, is to, to be made into the image of Christ. This is what Paul says in other places. Or in, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. That could be the most simple definition of Christian ethics, is follow Christ, or follow other people who are following Christ. Okay? To believe God is a loving God means that we will act lovingly. To believe God forgives means that we will be people who forgive. To believe God sees not what is the social value of a person, 
means that we will not see people according to uh, where, what their social value might be. To see God's patience towards us means we will be patient people. To see God's willingness to speak truth and protect and care for his people means that we will go and we will do the same. To see Jesus value the poor and the marginalized of a society means that we will do the same, right? So much of, of what it looks like to live this new creation character out is to simply uh, live in a godly or Christ-like way, to, to see that as our goal. That's a very simplified way to see all this, all right? So, so let's move into a time of application here, okay? And this is where we're just going to be picking up on some of the things we talked about and actually specifically talking about what it looks like for us to live live this out. All right, the first is one we've already talked about, but I just want to reiterate it again. Um, determine the steps to build new creation character. Now remember, like, like we said before, how to build character, how to put on the new self, kind of comes down to three things. Aiming at the right goal, determining the steps to get there, making those steps habitual. So I want to challenge you to look at your life, to identify some goals. Ask yourself, where do I need to grow more into who God has already made me to be by calling me uh, in Christ, by, by saying I'm made in His image? Scripture gives us guidelines and steps to take, right? Um, beyond that, though, beyond what Paul says here or what we read in other places in the Bible, read Christian authors and pastors who, who have already wrestled through maybe whatever that thing that you're identifying is right now. There are plenty of good books out there. There are some bad books, too, of course, so be discerning. But there are plenty of good books out there that you can go read, um, written by people who have spent a lot of time trying to shape their own thinking, being made new in the attitude of their minds, and wrestled through all sorts of different issues. Some of them ones that are specifically addressed in the Bible, uh, some of them ones that aren't, right? So, so be, avail yourself of those things. Find older Christians in the faith. Find people who have gone before you. Don't, don't be so uh, arrogant to think that someone else who's older and wiser than you can't have some input to give you and how to live out this uh, this calling this 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 new creation self right like believe that what God has done in their lives and how God has led them through his spirit in their past can speak to you wherever you're at and whatever whatever things that you want to do whatever steps you're you're looking to take whatever habits you're looking to, to put in your life uh, rest on people's experience that have gone before you right talk about your struggles in community group um, let other people speak into your life and, and to encourage you. And then don't be afraid to encourage or give input in your community group, right? It, it will look the same at times, but it will look different at others. Um, so for, for all of us, like we, we will have different ways in which this might play out um, for us, different steps we might need to take to, to reach the goal, even though our goals are all, are all the same, okay? Now with all that, this is our second point of application, be ready for a tough road, okay? But one that will bear fruit. In that book that, that we got those three steps from, um, After You Believe by N.T. Wright, he has a, a great quote in here I, I wanted to share. He says, Yes, declares virtue. This is going to be a tough, especially at first. It's an acquired taste. It's a new language with its own alphabet and grammar. But the more you practice, the more natural it becomes. Okay, the more that you live out your new creation identity, which has been remade in Jesus, the more you bring that future life into the present. Okay? Now that's going to be tough at first because it's something that's from a new place. It's something that's not a part of our nature. 
right? And you can't just take something that has one nature and give it a brand new nature that it's always going to live out of in every situation going forward, right? Which means that living this way is going to be tough. And we don't like tough things, right? We just don't. Our tendency a lot of times is to say, this doesn't come easy, so I'm going to go and find something else that does come easy. I'm going to maybe go find a new job, or I'm going to go find a new hobby. Um, sometimes people in our culture will just find a new spouse, because this is tough, living this out, right? We want things to feel natural. We love things to just come to us naturally, right? And if something feels unnatural, then we oftentimes think it's, it's bad. In the book, N.T. Wright, when he's talking about this, gives the example of playing the piano. So he, he says, I had taught myself to play a, a certain piece, and I, and I eventually come to learn that my fingering on this piece was wrong, and that the piece wouldn't sound as beautiful as it was supposed to as long as I was playing it uh, according to this fingering that I had just taught myself. Now, the problem was that the proper fingering was unnatural. And so even though this, this teacher um, was trying to show him the proper fingering for it, he felt super unnatural, and, and it felt so weird to him that he couldn't really feel the music, right? He couldn't really feel it flowing out of him. He couldn't, like, be, be moved along as he played the music, okay? But he kept kind of working at it, and when he got used to the new fingering and practiced it, more and more the piece began to, to sing in a way that it hadn't sung before when he had been playing it in the old fingering, right? And so, so while at first it felt unnatural, um, the more he played it, the more natural it felt, and the more he played it, the more he realized why this was the right fingering, why this was the better uh, fingering than the one he taught himself. Okay? We have to be ready for tough work, but that work is going to pay off. Okay? And even though it's tough, we are not alone in that work. And this is our third and last point of application. And that is that we are people who need to rely on the power of Christ. Okay? So, step back from all that we've said so far. The power to enable us to put on the new self comes from Christ himself. It's the power that made us new in the first place, and it's power that's available to us now. Let's go back to Ephesians 1, verses 18 to 21. We, we, Julie talked about this a couple weeks into the sermon series. Uh, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. So Paul is saying here, he's praying to the, for the Ephesians, and whoever else reads this letter, to know the power, to experience the power that raised Jesus from the dead, that made him king over all things, and that will one day culminate in the peaceful reign of Christ over all creation. Okay? And this power has, because Paul is praying that we would know and experience it, that means it's been made available to us. Right? And this is the power that is making us new. That's what it means to know or experience this power. Right? So, so everything I've said so far in this sermon, right? I've been talking a lot about the ways in which we are supposed to be living a certain way out and trying to be thoughtful in the way that we put patterns in place, right? And all that stuff obviously matters. I spent a lot of time talking about it, okay? But you will not do this on your own strength, okay? We need to know that. Our new life is from a certain place, okay? 
And we have to be thoughtful about that and understand what it looks like to live that life that comes from a new place out. But if it's true that it comes from a certain place that's not this place, then it requires the help of that place to get us to accomplishment, accomplish that. Okay? So, I'm, I'm, I'm exhorting you, I'm, I'm imploring you, take that power, trust that power. If it raised Jesus from the dead, okay, it can make you new in whatever place that you are seeking to live out newness. Wherever place is tough for you, whatever place is easy for you, that power can, can make that possible to you. Alright, let's close in prayer here. Father, we thank you that you have made us new, that you have um, set us apart to live in, 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 a, in a new way, and you've given us the power through your Son, Jesus, to, to live that way now. I pray that we would experience that power, um, that we would know the goal to which we, we should live, that you would give us wisdom to know what steps to take and what habits to put in place to live that out, and that as we do, we would, in small ways, Lord, um, bring that new creation hope that we have into the present time um, as you work through us, God. Let us be agents of new creation as we, we live that hope out. We pray this in your Son's holy name. Amen.